Welcome to Women Who Lead. I'm Ann Thomas. I'm here with my co-host, Luann Thomas-Ewald, the Chief Operating Officer of C.S. Mott Children's Hospital and the Von Voigtlander Women's Hospital. For this edition of the show, Luann, we are here. We're together at Michigan Medicine. Isn't this great? I am so excited. We have not been together in, oh my gosh, almost 15, 16 months. I know. This is wonderful, and I'm glad you're here. Yes, I'm very glad to be here, and we have a lot to talk about. We, we do. There's a lot going on despite us still being in a pandemic. We are going to be speaking to Dr. Dee Fenner. She is our fearless leader here at Michigan Medicine in our Department of um, Obstetrics and Gynecology. We are going to be talking to Sarah Clark, who is one of our pediatric researchers. She came up with a, a, a new poll that came out about children and vaccines and parents and communication. And we have two awesome fundraising events that we're going to be talking about. We have the Mott Golf Classic on August 9th, which raises a ton of funds for the programs at CS Mott. And today we have the Detroit Auto Dealers Association um, big event with Cheryl Crow. And um, we're so excited to talk about all of these things today. We'll get started right after these messages. Welcome to Women Who Lead. I'm Ann Thomas. I'm here with my co-host, Luann Thomas-Ewald, the Chief Operating Officer of C.S. Mott Children's Hospital and the Von Voigtlander Women's Hospital. Our first guest on today's show is Dr. Dee Fenner. She's the Chair of the Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology and the Bates Professor of Diseases of Women and Children at the University of Michigan. Now, Lou, Dr. Fenner is one of our 2021 Women Who Lead honorees. Congratulations, Dr. Finner, and welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It's just fabulous to be with you this morning. It's nice to meet you. And Lou, let's have you kick this off with Dr. Finner because you say we could talk to her for the entire show. We we could, and you're going to find out very quickly why she's our Women Who Lead honoree because she has been leading our women's hospital and our obstetrics and gynecology service through the pandemic and has done it with grace and grit and we have we are so full with deliveries and new babies which is why we're here so these covid babies um some but not we all it's all babies (laughs) it's it's all babies and we're going to talk a little bit about that too about the protocols that change during covid that dr fenner and her team came up with that are now best practice across the country but first We want to talk about the U.S. News and World Report rankings for gynecology. So can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. So uh, once again, we're very proud that uh, we are rated one of the best uh, GYN programs in the country. Uh, If you think about the thousands of hospitals across the nation that provide gynecologic care, we are honored that we are recognized in the top 50. Uh, We were number 40 this year. We've been as high as number two over the past several years. the, the criteria keep changing, uh, and uh, one thing, we certainly know that we strive every day to provide the safest, the most up-to-date, the latest, uh, the most caring and compassionate 
care for our gynecologic as well as our obstetric patients. So uh, I couldn't be prouder of our teams. We have just amazing physicians and surgeons who uh, take care of uh, our patients with a very broad spectrum of gynecologic disorders as well as well women care uh, from, from adolescents uh, to women in uh, their ninth and tenth decades. So we we uh, certainly uh, have every specialty and subspecialty in gynecology in addition to our uh, routine obstetrics and high-risk pregnancies. So I just uh, feel honored every day to get to lead this amazing uh, group of physicians and our nurses and our clerks and our entire staff who take care of our patients and to be part of this great institution uh, to uh, help uh, women in southeast Michigan and uh, much farther beyond. Dee, in in 2020, um, you had a record year in births. We had over 5,000 births, which was a record. But last year, when we were looking at the data about what to expect this year as we came out of the pandemic, the national data was showing us that the birth rates um, would decline because people were um, hesitant maybe to get pregnant during a pandemic. But we've seen the opposite again. So can you talk about the birth surge that you have been leading us through for the past couple months? Yeah, it's been a roller coaster, certainly, with COVID, you know, uh, trying to uh, predict our normal birth volumes uh, throughout this past year and this summer has really uh, been dependent on our amazing, uh, again, staff here to help us try and determine, you know, how many nurses we're going to need, how many doctors need to be on labor and delivery, how many rooms do we need. Uh, We saw a decline in births across southeast Michigan at all the institutions uh, during the winter. Uh, and then um, some of those uh, institutions more in the Detroit area are still down in births. But in our institution, uh, we have had about a 10% rise in births uh, starting at the end of May and through June and July. And uh, so obviously we know, uh, we can predict, uh, we know nine months <laughs> when uh, women get pregnant and when they see us somewhere in their uh, second or third month of pregnancy, then we, we know uh, when we can uh, guess our deliveries. And so fortunately, again, we plan for this surge. I mean, just an amazing team. I can't say enough about uh, the Von Voigtlander uh, Women's Hospital team and the Mott team as we come together. You know, we're unique. We have uh, two or three patients, depending if it's a singleton or twins. And so we have to sort of double plan for uh, our deliveries. And so we expanded our our labor room uh, up to 10 and even 15 rooms on some days. Uh, We had extra staff, both from the nursing and the physician side. We added uh, one of our great midwives to help out as well. And so... I am so proud to say that, uh, you know, we have met the challenge. If we look at all of our safety metrics, if we look at the length of stay for moms, if we, if we look at every category that we use to measure quality, uh, we uh, exceeded even some of our normal capacity times. So uh, I think it's just such a great attestation to the teamwork and the leadership and uh, all of our team members in, in Von Voigtlander. Very impressive. You know, you're also unique in the sense that you have the women's hospital and you have the children's hospital. So if there's an issue at birth, that baby is automatically very well taken care of. 
Yeah, but that is, you know, a decision that uh, was made when we built uh, 10 years ago the new women and children's hospital is to, to stay uh combined and uh, very much uh, together both not just in a physical space but also in our leadership teams and how we think about mother baby and how we uh, we manage our and help our families and uh, yes unlike some of the other uh, hospitals and you know in Chicago or Philadelphia or around the country where they've split off children's hospitals away from the obstetric unit you know we're combined and we think that especially for our high-risk pregnancies sure. if our babies need the NICU if our babies need fetal surgery or uh, all of the high-tech complex care that we specialize in here at Michigan that being in one unit having someone like Luann who uh, <laughs> oversees both sides of that is um, really one of those uh, uh, great things about uh, the Von Voigtlander and Mott Children's Hospital. It, uh, we think that's a huge advantage for uh, our providers um, and our teams, but really, obviously, for our patients and families. What about safety protocols? Where are you now with COVID with regard to keeping mother, father, baby safe? Yeah. So, you know, it's been a challenging year. And, you know, when you're, you went into this pandemic, we, you know, certainly... No one had ever anticipated something like this happening. So we had to work daily, and things did change quite frequently. And it was hard on our families and staff, our moms, our dads, our grandparents. And so we're now really to a point where we feel that, that in general, you know, it is safe. We have that uh, there can be two people in with the moms. Uh, and, uh, you know, obviously we continue uh, with uh, our monitoring and making sure that the mom and the baby and everyone involved is safe. I especially want to keep our care providers safe. We want to make sure that our nurses and our doctors and our entire team. So um, in contrast to some earlier times where we really had to reduce uh, the number of uh, folks who could come in with uh, the moms, uh, I'm happy to say right now that we're pretty much back to normal on that. Uh, you know, we still don't want a lot of little children extra uh, right, in the right. hospital. And again, it's really for this, it's all about safety. And what's the latest research with regard to the COVID vaccine for the pregnant moms? Yeah. So all of the research would say that it is safe. Uh, there has not been any increase in risk of the complications, the, you know, the, say the very, very small percentage of complications with some of the vaccines uh, in terms of any clotting or any issues like that. Um, so uh, the American College of OBGYN, the Society for Maternal Fetal Medicine, while uh, we don't feel like we have absolutely enough data to come out and then uh, to say that we strongly recommend, but I will say we strongly don't discourage. <laughs> so we feel like it's safe. Uh, we feel like it's much safer to have the vaccine than to, that it is to have COVID. Uh, so, and the, the risk of certainly to the mother and the baby appear to be perfectly safe with the vaccines. And so, you know, thousands of women during pregnancy have gotten the vaccine and we, we have not, we have not seen any, uh, uh, 
change any additional complications compared to women who are not pregnant. And then what about research with regard to the mother passing on some of the vaccine protection to the newborn? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it, it does look like that the vaccine then does protect the baby for a while. And so that is great. Really great. And so that is really wonderful. And certainly we, you know, if the mother has COVID when she has the baby, we test it. Um, there's very rare, rare instances uh, and still that we think that it passes to the baby in utero. Uh, and there's still some debate. Some, some uh, people think, no, it doesn't. But uh, And then certainly, you know, we do not separate the baby from the mom if she has COVID. We let her nurse. We talk about her wearing her mask. And so we think it's, again, happy that as this has gone on, that we have learned from experiences uh, both at Michigan and around the world uh, with pregnant moms and and their babies so that uh, we, we change as the science changes. And I know, Lou, you probably have more questions, but I just had to get a few of these in because I know we are with the expert of all experts. We are. Yeah. We are. And my, my last question is, um, during COVID, I, I remember early April, COVID hit May, March of 2020, early April, there was all this um, buzz with Dee and her uh, faculty physicians about how are we going to keep these moms safe, like two two weeks into the pandemic. Oh, I can imagine. And what they came up with was remarkable, and that's what I was talking about for best practice. They, um, and I want you to talk about it, Dee, um, they really, impl- they redesigned prenatal care, which had not been redesigned in over 50 years. Um, and they also took a care at home model for our pregnant moms so they could monitor themselves instead of them having to come into the hospital um, and have us monitor them. So they really... Within 14 days, they saw what was coming and had to protect our mom. So can you talk a little bit about that, Dee? Sure. Again, I'm so proud of our team, uh, uh, led by Alex Peel and other of our great faculty members who, uh, quite frankly, had been looking at obstetric care even before the pandemic and decide, you know, not one size fits all type of modeling. And so we were really poised to uh, adopt virtual care uh, and select women who uh, were uncomplicated pregnancies, you know, and uh, had access to uh, Zoom, which quickly became everyone, if you will, (laughs) almost. But we certainly wanted to be sure that we uh, were able to provide uh, the right obstetric care for the right patient in the right location. And so we worked, we had great support from our medical students and a, a whole team of physicians and nurses and midwives to come together and design protocols where uh, patients could come in for their initial prenatal visits during that time. You know, they get screened and talked to, and then so that they would be able to then, uh, for really the middle parts of their pregnancy, not have to come in to the office, Which is great. they would have a, a Zoom, they could check their blood pressures at home, they could listen to the baby's heartbeat at home, uh, we could monitor and go through a safety checklists. We also created online chat groups so they could come on and talk to other moms. They could talk to social workers, lactation experts, uh, talk about uh, postpartum depression, be prepared, things that we would probably have discussed in the office, but in some ways even above and beyond so that we could do it uh, on a uh, virtual platform. Uh, they would then come in for a one visit in the middle of the pregnancy, many times get their ultrasound and their glucose screen 
meeting in person and again go back and do the virtual care. Um, you know, we've been able to uh, successfully implement that program. We're continuing now because women thought this was fabulous, uh, for especially for second-time moms and sure, who, right. who were comfortable. Uh, we're working now, again, with the American College of OBGYN uh, to implement uh, this across the country. Um, for some moms, they, they you know, and not necessarily, necessitated by the uh, pandemic, they prefer a traditional model. Some prefer group models. Some, you know, so we think that we're you know, very close to be able to having adapting this model so that women can have a choice and the right type of prenatal care for her and her baby. So again, it was uh, really pushed forward, probably accelerated uh, by the pandemic, but uh, uh, certainly our team is leading the nation and uh, really reforming prenatal care. It's really impressive, Lou. Dr. D. Fenner, Chair of the Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology here at Michigan Medicine, it was really nice to meet you, and congratulations on being one of our women who lead. Thank you. It's a great honor, and uh, I look forward to coming back and speaking with you more. The conversation will continue in just a few minutes here at Michigan Medicine on Women Who Lead. You are listening to Women Who Lead. I'm Ann Thomas. I'm here with my co-host, Luann Thomas-Ewald. And Luann, we now spend some time talking to Kara Slater, the director of C.S. Mott Children's Hospital. Kara, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. And you are here today to talk about golf. Yes. (laughs) Now, I have taken about a gazillion golf lessons. I play golf, not frequently, but every now and again. And I am probably one of the worst golfers you will ever speak with. Now, Lou, how are you in the golf world? I'm, I, I'm the same way. I, I don't think they taught us that at Mercy. <laughs> but so you we know, have other skills. Yes, and my girls played on the Mercy golf team. Where, where did they get that gene from? From their father. Okay. <laughs> from their okay. father. <laughs> but, you know, one of the things that I love about golf is the amount of money that these golf outings raise for a gazillion different charities. And you have the golf outing coming up. I believe it's August 9th. It is August 9th. It is August 9th. So tell us a little bit about it. What's the name? How does it work? Well, we are excited to be back. First and foremost, we're excited to see everybody. Back in action. We are back in action to see our corporate sponsors, our um, community back, our business partners um, on August 9th. um, We are at the Barton Hills Country Club, Radrick Farms Golf Club, and U of of M Golf Course um, with over 400 golfers. Wow. So three different courses? Three golf courses. Yes. Yes. One day, three courses. 400 golfers. I mean, it doesn't get any better than that. So yeah, over um, since 2007, the events actually raised about uh, $6.4 million towards programs at Mott. Um, And these programs are just, you know, they're entertainment programs, their distraction programs, their therapy programs. So all the money that is raised on one day goes towards all these cool initiatives at the hospital. So we're excited. And I just, I have to think that there's a a Mott Golf Classic committee and they really didn't get the green light until about 30 days ago. So to get everybody back in person, to get everyone back in person, because usually it's the first Monday in June. Um, 
couldn't do it in June. So 30 days ago, they got the green light and they've been hustling <laughs> to, to make sure that August 9th is as, as perfect as it can be. And we know it will be. And Kara, how are you feeling? I mean, you're in charge of all of this. We are so excited. You know, that once the committee got the green light from the university, we, we were like, let's go. You know, who needs seven months? Let's take seven weeks and we will make <laughs> it happen. So we're very excited to be back, you know. And the, the neat thing about um, the event is really the committee that puts it on are all Michigan Medicine employees. They're, they're middle management leaders, they're staff. Um, everybody donates their time towards this event throughout the year to plan it and um, then execute it on one day, and we couldn't be more excited. How do you execute it on one day, three different courses, 400 golfers? Lots of planning, lots of support, lots of volunteers, um, and everybody's always ready to raise their hand to help the kids, right? Sure. So yeah. uh, it's a really uh, easy ask of people. Is it a scramble format? Of course it's a scramble. <laughs> <laughs> That's the only way to play golf. Absolutely. Yes, that way everybody can participate. Yes, absolutely. And Carol, what are what are some of the programs that the funds from the Mac Golf Classic over the over the past many years um, have supported? Well, we are um most excited this year about Sophie's Place, which is mm -hmm. a music therapy studio that will be opening in the early 2022. And uh this space is 1200 square foot. Um uh, and it'll be on the third floor of Mott, and it will be supporting music uh, therapy groups. It will have a state-of-the-art recording studio for patients to record their own music or wow. videos. Um, it will have closed-circuit live streaming and opportunities for the community to come and entertain and interact with our patients, whether it be through Zoom or video um, or one-day one-to-one that would be nice um, to get back to that as well so um, other programs that the, it's supported is the patient technology program which is bedside um, video uh, gaming lego robotics programs um, and all that technology that we just want to uh, bring into the hospital um, while they're there to make the time go faster we also support ronald mcdonald charities of mm -hmm. ann arbor um, we have a ronald mcdonald house within mott um, and so we support a lot of their programming. And then we have uh, the Mott Golf Classic has supported the Giving Library as well. So that at any point in time, the kids want a book, they want 10 books, keep them reading. So it funds all of those books as well. And if any of our listeners want to get involved and maybe contribute, how can they do that? Cara? Absolutely. We would love for you to donate or be a sponsor. Next year will be our 50th annual uh, Mott Golf Classic. They can go to mottgolf.medicine.umich.edu. Kara Slater, Director of CS Mott Children's Hospital. Good luck with the event. It'll be wonderful to hear how it ends up. Thank you so much. We're hoping the rain um, is done for the season, and we're going to have a beautiful day. You know what, Kara? We've had enough rain. Exactly. I think you're going to be in good shape. I think we're good. Yeah. Thank you. You are listening to Women Who Lead. We'll be back right after these messages. Luann Thomas Ewald, there is a very big and fun event tonight in Detroit. And you are going to be the recipient of the funds from this Motor City Car Crawl Charity Gala. Talk to me about this. Yeah, so this is this is the new charity preview party, not in the winter. How fun. So fun. 
Um, and yes, I will be there tonight um, to see Cheryl Crow. And all of the funds are going to the nine designated charities. And CS Mott Children's Hospital is so excited to be among those charities. Um, also the Children's Foundation, March of Dimes, the Children's Center, PAL, um, you know, a lot of the organizations that we partner with to make sure that kids have happier and healthier lives. Um, and we're excited for the new format. It's different. We're in a different world. <laughs> and so we're going to, we're going to see how this works in a summer environment versus a cold wintering environment. So where is it? It is at, um, Campus Marshes. Outside. Yes. Oh, that'll be beautiful. And so, um, you know, they are still selling tickets, um, even, <laughs> even right now, even, even though it's in a few now. hours. And it's the, uh, through the Detroit Auto Dealers Association. And, you know, it's, it's really, uh, the fun, we're, we are going to use the funds to really advance, um, pediatric research and improving the care that we provide. Um, here at CS Mott Children's Hospital and making sure that the patient experience um, is is what our patients deserve and that's what we want to deliver. So we're so excited to be amongst these awesome established charities uh, this year. Oh, it's wonderful news for you. You know, we've been talking for years and years about the charity preview gala and we always talk about how it's kind of like auto prom and people yes. get all dressed up. But at the end of the day, what's really happening there is that millions and millions of dollars are being raised at this event for charities and for kids. Correct. And it's so, you know, it's just, it's so wonderful. And, and the amount of money raised in a couple hours, right? The, the, the auto prom was usually from six to nine. So in a three hour stint, um, you know, millions and millions and millions of dollars and all the major corporations and all the major community uh, members and leaders, you know, all participating for the sake of our kids. And, you know, it's, it's just, it, it's, it's fun for us. We, you know, we partner with a lot of these charities, a lot of these charities, we share the families, we share the kids and, and the needs of the families and the kids. So uh, the fact that we're now part of the pack is, is making us all very, very proud because we know what we can do with those funds. And during COVID, it wasn't all that easy to raise all this money. No, it, it wasn't. And the needs were so, so great because, you know, simple things that people don't remember, especially in a children's hospital, um, we have we have activity rooms on every floor. We had to close those. Hmm. We, we have a family center on the first floor for families, for resources, for them to log into their computers, for them to get a snack. That was closed. So everything we had had to be brought into the child's room, and the child couldn't leave their room. And that goes against everything we do and everything we believe. Um, you know, the visitation policy was only one parent for a long time. And so really just trying to help with the emotional needs and um, trying to distract the kids within their own room. So... You know, we started to run out of toys. We never run out of toys. We started to run out of because toys. Because you needed toys for each room? For each room, and they wow. had to take the toys home because mm -hmm. we could no longer share toys or books or markers or crayons. So, um, you know, these funds really help us with the day-to-day with the day-to-day -day operations and we're still you know we're not out of the pandemic so we are still operating um in in those modes the activity rooms are closed um the family centers are closed you know we have a wonderful wonderful pet therapy program so we put funds toward the pet therapy program to you know 
imagine when a, a dog walks into a kid's room and, you know, the smiles and the comfort and the love. So, you know, those, those extra touches, um, in addition to really trying to advance pediatric research, um, re- really, really is what this event is all about. And, you know, this pandemic has been so hard on children and parents. You really need the money. Correct. Correct. All, all of these charities need the money. Every, you know, everyone, um, you know, didn't, couldn't have their golf outings, <laughs> couldn't have their annual galas, um, you know, couldn't have their, uh, fundraising machines in action for over 18 months. And, uh, and, you know, all charities, not just the charities that are, um, getting the designation here, you know, a lot of them run on donations. That's it. So, we know how important these funds are. We appreciate the community coming to see Cheryl Crow tonight. Um, the link for tickets is victors.us backslash MC3. You are listening to Women Who Lead. Coming up next, we are going to talk about some interesting new research about COVID. We'll be back right after this. Next guest on Women Who Lead is Sarah Clark, a research scientist in the Department of Pediatrics. She also serves as the co-director of the C.S. Mott Children's Hospital National Poll on Children's Health. She's with us today, Lou, to talk about a new poll among parents on whether they will allow their children to receive the COVID vaccine. And Lou, I'm going to let you take it from here. Absolutely. Welcome, Sarah. Thank you for being here. I know the the most recent Mott poll report um, came out about a week ago. So can you talk to us about the findings? We know there's so much talk throughout the country and throughout the world about children and vaccines, and there's different opinions. And so you decided to study it. So can you tell us what the poll found? Absolutely. And I'm going to tell you one thing that kind of confirms uh, news that people may have heard other places. And one thing that's really new and pretty concerning. So what confirms other reports that we've seen out there is among parents of teens 12 to 18. So this is a group where the vaccine is already available. It's about 50-50, 50% whose teen has already gotten it or is likely to get it, and 50% of parents who say their teen is unlikely to get it. Among younger kids, parents of 3 to 11, and so the vaccine will be coming time unknown, it is about 40% say they're likely to have their child get the vaccine, 60% not. That's in the ballpark of what we've seen in other reports. Now, here's the new part. The majority of parents have not spoken to their child's pediatrician or their family doctor about this. And that is hugely concerning to us. I wonder why. You know, one of the, one of the inexplicable things is parents and kids, but also parents, grew up with their pediatrician talking about vaccines. It starts from day one. A lot of kids have their first vaccination in the hospital when the baby's born, and if not then, not too much longer. And parents and their pediatrician or their family doctor talk about vaccines 
multiple times over the course of that child's life. So it's it's an existing framework for having this discussion. That's who they have this conversation with. And so it is a really important question to think about why. Sarah, do we, you know, we, we've heard from pediatricians in the community that, you know, obviously over the past 12 to 18 months, their volumes have gone down. So kids aren't coming in for their regular visits. Kids aren't coming in um, for r- routine physicals. So it, do you think that could be part of the the problem that they're not even having their annual or biannual um, visits? I think that's part of the problem, although a lot of places have begun to pick back up. Yes. I'm hearing a couple of different things. Um, one is pediatricians saying, well, parents don't ask. <laughs> To which I say, then you need to be a little more proactive. Exactly. Without that health expert leading the discussion, parents are completely on their own to sort out all of the information. That's and a lot there. of it misinformation. Absolutely. But also a lot of it is what I would call early information. So there's a new side effect that's reported. Yes. And it's early and you know what? It is your parent. It is the parent's job to say, "I wonder if that could happen to my child." We have to stop looking at questions as bad and start looking at questions as good. That's a responsible thing. Glad you're reading up on it. But one of the things that we found in this poll was the factors that were most important to parents about COVID vaccine: is it safe? Has it been tested on kids uh, on kids the age of my child? Does it work? Those are the same questions that parents have about all vaccines. Again, we're completely in the ballpark of what pediatricians and family physicians already do. So it is a matter of having the purpose to create time and space for the conversation. It, re- it really is. And that's going to take a combination of both parents and providers and we've you know we've seen at least over the past two weeks the american of Acad- the american academy of pediatrics has come out strongly um, with a statement um, yesterday the children's hospital association um, followed suit so we're seeing a lot of the large organizations really supporting um, that kids need to be vaccinated the other thing that i think can happen here is in some ways, the, that fall off of visits that happened at the beginning of the pandemic has created a little bit of a backlog of yes. need, right? So now we're, play, we're playing catch up. One of the, I'm going to say unfortunate, but maybe that's too strong. One of the, the differences with COVID vaccine is it is not in a lot of primary care doctor's offices. And what we found in our poll was for the parents of teenagers who said their child had already got COVID vaccine, a much higher proportion of those teens got vaccinated at a retail pharmacy or a mass vax, you know, a mass vaccination clinic. They went to the big house. They went to the TCF mm-hmm. center in Detroit. That is not the norm with kids. And I don't think it's going to play well for kids 3 to 11 our poll found that the number one preferred location among parents 3 to 11 for COVID vaccine was where they always go, 
their doc, their child's right. doctor's office. So we have to really understand that that also could have a negative impact on whether kids get this vaccine. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't even think about that. I mean, we know that with the flu shot, it is in these retail outlets, but it's also in the pediatrician and family practitioner's office to make it easy for the family. So I didn't even think of that piece, that these vaccines are not even in their offices. And that may also impact providers' uh, willingness or um, kind of top of mind to talk about it. Often we talk about what vaccines is your child going to get today. today. Right. Right? Right. You're not going to get COVID vaccine today at that pediatrician or family doc's office probably. And so that may be um, a hurdle that we're going to have to get over. You know, the other issue, too, connected to that might be that you would be worried as a parent if you took your child to, I don't know, to a pharmacy or whatever. What would the side effect? Could there be an immediate side effect? Whereas if you were at the doctor's office, you trust that pediatrician, the child trusts the doctor, you have the shot, the shot is given, and then you let the child sit there and you make sure that the child is doing okay. I mean, this this makes sense. It's something that that they should look at with regard to vaccine distribution. It absolutely is something we have to consider. And again, as the approval, the emergency authorization goes to younger and younger age groups, I think that has to be Especially a bigger like and bigger a priority. Baby or a toddler? Absolutely. And is is there any? Um, have you seen anything around um, the timing of when we can get to these the younger children? I would say. Uh, soon, the next group is likely to be coming soon. Uh, is that going to be September? Is that going to be later in the fall? It's unclear. Uh, it, you know, the people are doing great work. Um, I also respect the fact that uh, you can't rush it, especially what, especially with kids, but especially as new reports of side effects uh come out, they have to do the due diligence and make sure that we're all set on that. And I think we can also understand as parents that you would worry about some of the side effects that you're hearing about. But I think the issue is you've got to go back to the doctor, to the pediatrician and say, how serious are these side effects? How many people are they affecting? And the other thing that the doctor can do is help put into context, because that side effects term is yes. really squishy. Yes. So when you're when your two-month-old gets that first set of shots, the doctor talks about the baby may be a little fussy. You might have a little bit of a fever, do some Tylenol. That's a side effect, but it's the baby's body producing that immune response. We have that same thing with COVID vaccine. Right. So some of the side effects we're talking about are the good kind, like, yep, it's working. And right. some of them are the kind that we would worry about. They're the unintended side effects. If you have a pediatrician that your child has been seeing for years, that pediatrician may know you and know how to put that conversation in a context, compare it to previous vaccines your child has received. Make it make sense. You're exactly right. Sarah Clark, research scientist in the Department of Pediatrics. Thank you so much for your time today. It was nice to meet you. Thanks for having me. On behalf of my co-host, Luann Thomas-Ewald, I'm Ann Thomas. Thanks for listening, and we hope you have a great week.